Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 192 and this episode is with Scott Pirri. Now Scott was most recently the performance director at Galatasaray but when you hear his CV and some of the clubs um, and teams that he's worked with he has an incredible amount of experience and something that I hope you can pull from in this podcast today. Just before we go into what we covered in the podcast, I just want to say a massive thank you to Dan Guzman. We reference him in the podcast, but Dan's a top guy, obviously been on the podcast a few times before, but recommended Scott, put me in touch with him, and I'm I'm really appreciative that he did because Scott is obviously first class at what he does, and um, when you hear some of his experiences and people that he's worked with, you realise how good a practitioner that he is. So we spoke in this podcast, we went through his background, his career, which takes a little bit of a while because he's worked with a fair few clubs, like I've said. We also spoke about some of the lessons that he took from working in the NFL Combine and how they crossed over to football as well. We talked about his time in Brazil, which included working with large groups. So anyone that's working with big groups of players, that'll definitely be worthwhile listening into. Also, just the culture in Brazil on why he thinks that they, they continue to develop this amazing talent um, year on year and some of the amazing names that have come out of Brazil as well. And then we spoke a little bit about him leading the education at Exos and how that improved his approach as a practitioner as well. So loads covered in this episode. And like I say, big thank you to Scott for coming on the podcast. And I hope you enjoy episode 192. Just before we get into the episode, I just want to give a quick heads up to our upcoming networking event in Manchester. That is going to be on Wednesday the 13th of July at the University Academy 92. So we have been at that we have been at the university before for an event. Really, really top venue and some great stuff going on at the university. And I'm delighted to say that Shane Murphy and Warren Bradley are both going to be presenting for us, both previous guests on the podcast doing some amazing work. So that'll be really, really good to see the guys speak. But also you'll get the opportunity to network with plenty of coaches from the area as well. So tickets are still available as this podcast goes out. It still is the early bird price. As we get closer to the event, it will go to full price. But if you want to claim it on the early bird price, make sure you act quickly to claim that early bird offer by going to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab. The tickets are available there. If you are a community member, make sure to go on to the community and go on to network meeting news. And there is an additional discount code there for you as well. So not only do you get the early bird discount, but you can add an additional members discount onto it as well. So go and check that out if you are a community member. So Wednesday the 13th of July at UA92, Shane Murphy and Warren Bradley, make sure you go and grab your ticket. Now just a massive thank you to our sponsors. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home, and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need, them, you need the best, and Black Box has you covered. So go and check them out on social media at BLK Box Fitness. Also, huge thank you to Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. 
by using VR technology, Rezzle and Player 22 can create game style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. So check out Rezzle at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L over on social media. And then finally, have you tried Hytro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players? While many may have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts, delivering BFR to groups of players safely and more conveniently than ever before. So go and check out the website, hytro.com, or email warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro can help accelerate the recovery of your athlete. So huge thank you to all of our sponsors. Let's get into it now. Episode 192 with Performance Director Scott Pirrie. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 192, and I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Scott Perry. Scott, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ben. It's an honor to be here and uh, speak with you today. I don't think we could start without saying a special thank you to um, a brilliant coach that's hooked us up and sorted this podcast out, so Dan Guzman. I've got to give him the shout out. Um, he's he's linked us up and I've had plenty of chats with him on what we can cover today. And we've got some exciting stuff. But just to start with, Scott, like we always start these podcasts, we always go into backgrounds, careers, and we could probably take up the whole podcast with, mm-hmm. with yours because I know you've been all over the place working with all sorts of different people. So can you give a whistle top, uh, whistle stops, t- I can't speak, whistle stop or... <laughs> Of your career so far? Yeah, um, you know, my career is probably unique, uh, especially coming from uh, the States. Lots of people don't associate, uh, at least when I got started, uh, somebody from the States working in football, soccer, right, as I have done a lot uh, in in my time. Uh, But, you know, basically uh, played football, soccer my whole entire life, even went to university for the first time. And... uh, played division one college soccer all that kind of stuff and always in that process I was always kind of looking to learn how do I get better not just technically tactically but physically it was always one of those things at that time when I was playing you know we didn't have a strength conditioning coach we didn't have you know really any kind of true support just old school coach assistant coaches right goalkeeper coach and that's it and you just go at it so when I finished with that, uh, playing there, uh, I eventually started playing professionally in the States uh, and then uh, over in Scandinavia for a couple of seasons before I came back to the States and, and finished playing professionally. And during that time, it was always like, what would be the next chapter, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do? And I always just really liked kind of the, the fitness aspect of uh, being in that environment and being an athlete. And so... During off season, I just kind of started going back to school, went to uni again, did all that kind of stuff during the off seasons when I was uh, when I was finishing up playing, and then I just jumped straight into uh, working with people. Right, first started off at basic, just training general people, but I always had a desire to try to work with athletes and get to that kind of next level. And fortunately for me, uh, I had worked for a few years in London. 
and I had my own company and we were working with different athletes, different programs uh, in the UK. But when I came back to the States, that's when I started things off with athletes performance and they had just opened up the LA facility. And at that time, right, they only had Phoenix and uh, Los Angeles facilities. So at that time, when I started with them, you know, small group of teams, right? You know, we just had, you know, the team in Phoenix and the team in LA. And then as time went by or whatever, I ended up spending 15 years uh, working, right, with athletes performance, which then turned into Exos. And, and in that journey, right, I had the opportunity to work with in many, many NFL combines, NBA pre-drafts, work with a lot of different uh, veteran athletes in NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, uh, NBA, you know, and then also too worked in a lot of other things, rugby, lacrosse, uh, Aussie rules, football, things like that. But I always had this passion to, to work in football, soccer. So that kind of took me on the journey with athletes performance in Exos where worked for LA Galaxy, New York Red Bulls, had opportunity to work in Europe for clubs like Everton and Galatasaray, worked for national teams like Mexico, the Turkish national team, and then also do a little time with the U.S. national team. And then I even got a chance to go to Brazil and work with uh, Atletico Prominence and be able to work in uh, a big club in Brazil and South America with a big project working with the whole entire club. And just recently just finished uh, working with uh, Galatasaray, finishing out uh, this season. And that's kind of it. So, I mean, I've get to see a lot of everything having in my journeys uh, over the last uh, 15, 20 years working with uh, athletes performance in Exos. So great experience. Brilliant. I think that's just perked everyone up listening and thinking, wow, <laughs> there's, there's a fair few, fair few teams in there. So it'd be great to draw on your exp- experience for a few different areas on the podcast. One thing I wanted to get into to start with, probably more of a personal interest, probably quite selfishly for me, the <laughs> Combine, the NFL Combine. Obviously, it's something that even if people don't watch the NFL, they're probably aware of. They're, they're aware of maybe some of the events that are involved in the Combine. But from working and preparing players for that to going into football, is there any crossovers or any lessons that you took from, from that, from that um, structure yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that when I spent my time at Athletes Performance and working in an event like the NFL Combine, it's just very, very specific. And you learn athletes are athletes. Now, you know, if they're in different sports, right, doesn't mean they're always going to be different, right? There's a lot more things that they're similar than they're different, right? So there's many things that you can take on and draw from if you're working in one kind of sport like the, you know, American football NFL, getting them ready to go from that transition of going from the top level college player to then going to the combine, right, to prepare themselves to then hopefully get drafted very high to then go into the next career and playing in the NFL. And I think the biggest experience from that is that you have such a like a finite time, right? When I was working it, it was uh, at the beginning it was six weeks. Now it's gone out to eight weeks. But when you start, you don't get any extra time. Right. So if the, when the athlete walks in the door and they start working with you and your team and everybody around it, all the support staff that you have with you working on this journey, right, to get them because they once a day to set for when they show up to Indianapolis and they've got to do their 40 and, you know, 
they've got to do the vertical, they got to do the broad, they got to do the bench, they've got to do the 60 yard shuttle, the L drill, the 5105, all these kinds of things, right? You have a very specific task, right? And it's one of the things, the purest things that we do, right, in our world is performance, fitness, strength, conditioning coaches, speed coaches, movement coaches, whatever you want to call it, is that, hey, and this time, we've got to, they've got to be able to do this, right? This is with expectation of the players, the agents, the teams, the, the, you know, everything. So you learn right away in an environment like that, that there isn't a data waste, there isn't, um, you know, a set, a rep, a drill, an exercise. So everything needs to be planned perfectly, right? And more importantly, it needs to be planned perfectly with your support staff, right? Because you're working with sports psychologists, sports dietitian, you're working on the recovery, you're working on the media training, you're working on the Wonderlick task. And so, I mean, the athletes could easily be there eight hours a day, right? You know, six days a week, right? And so in that environment, you learn how to have a system, you learn how to be able to organize, but more importantly, you learn how to understand you're not a one-person show, right? You can only go as far as you and your team supporting all those players, right? And making sure you kind of create that culture and environment that, hey, this isn't going to be easy, but there's going to be points where you're not going to feel so good and you're going to question, you're going to doubt, but hey, We've done this many, many times before. We're here to support you. You're going to make it. You're going to get to where you need to be, right? And mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those things will come together for you. And, and we're here for you to, to take you on that journey and make sure that you uh, get the reach the goal you want to and get the results that you want to. Yeah, brilliant. No, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because like you say, it's, I suppose it's very different in a way because they have got that specific time. They've got those specific sort of, events that they're preparing for and obviously the sport is different isn't it because they for anyone that doesn't follow it so much they're comparing for the combine yeah and then then you've got the the season <laughs> potentially as well so there's, there's two different things whereas obviously football we can take lessons from it but it's a lot there's a lot more stuff going on isn't there there's a lot more um i suppose differences in in schedules and um time of a pre-season and things like that so it's just interesting to hear maybe some of your takeaways from that and maybe some of the sim similarities as well. Um, in terms of so another part of your experience, Scott, I know you've had experience managing big groups as well. And obviously being in sports like NFL, that is going to be the case. But I know you, you talked about before your time in Brazil. Um, and when I was speaking to Dan, he mentioned that you might have had a fair few large group sizes over there as well. So what would be yes. your, there's probably a few practitioners that can relate to this. So in terms <laughs> of managing big groups, what would be your maybe takeaways or advice for coaches to get the most out of um, a big group like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the project was, uh, was very big. I mean, normally when we go in, right, you know, somebody like myself or somebody with the support staff that we had, we go in, you know, we would usually focus on one team, maybe two teams, right? maybe the first team and maybe the second team if we're working with the national team and maybe the the first team and then maybe the under 21 right making sure that they kind of were set and ready so when they transitioned from being a younger player to more senior player right then it would be a much smoother transition but in brazil I mean, we had over 200 athletes right so the sheer number and volume right so we had the first team 
We had the reserve team. We had the under 19, under 20 team, depending on what age group they were playing at that time and what part of the season, under 17 and under 15. So, and they were all in the same facility, which was amazing, right? This facility at Federal Comanance in, in Curitiba, like one of the top uh, training facilities in, in, in all of Brazil. I mean, under 15s were there, living there, training, going to school, under 17s were there under 19s were there and then of course the players the older players had their rooms there so when they needed to stay certain nights or whatever the day before a match or whatever so to walk into a, a situation like that where you're directly responsible for all the players right and the development of all the players right and more importantly taking the players from under 15 to under 17 to under 19 right we needed to look at the whole situation as a whole right and go okay technically tactically they were very good, right? You know, sometimes, right, when you go into clubs, you know, coaches change, managers change, people come in and out, right? And the, the, the game model, right? The, the formation, the style of play, right? Could just change, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like going, okay, well, what do we do with the, the players? We don't have the kind of players that we normally like. Some can, but then some may need to go because it's not, we're not playing that same uh, way of football. So, and the thing was in Brazil is that, you know, the big ask was how do we make the performance and the medical, right, and everything around this technical, tactical side that they had grown, right, from under 15 all the way up to the first team, how we, could we properly support that? And so, of course, we go in, we do a needs analysis, we look at everything. And so, ultimately, you know, the big takeaway is that, hey, we need to reduce the risk of injuries, Right. Now, of course, we can't eliminate it, but dramatically, we are way too high, right, across all teams and all levels. And the thing is, is that, you know, you can look at performance from, you know, one side or through the other side of it and go, oh, hey, let's, let's make them bigger, faster, stronger, more fit. Okay, yeah, that's true. But ultimately, right, what you kind of have to think about is that these players are here for a reason, right? They're some of the top players in Brazil. Right, because I got to see time and time again so many players coming through the system. Right, they didn't make it technically, tactically out. Here comes another five or ten new players, and we're like looking, going, "Wow, okay, what happened to those players?" They're like, "Yep, not good enough." So here comes five to ten new players. Okay, let's see if they can uh, make it, make the grade. So we realized right away that one of the big things that we could contribute, right from a performance end was decreasing that risk of injury, right? And decreasing soft tissue injuries, right? Contact injuries, you know, there's not a lot you can do with, but as we know in football, soccer, we have a lot of uh, soft tissue injuries, right? Non-contact injuries. And so we went on this journey in the first year, right? It was basically, we were screening all the players, which meant, and our small group of people, right? Well, I mean, every time we screen all the players, that meant we had to screen over 200 players. So then we screen the players, we find the weak links, asymmetries, the compensations, right? To find the players that are red flagged, right? And now we start working with the rest of the support staff. Like, okay, how can we have, let's not wait till the player has a big injury or has a significant soft tissue injury before we start trying to work with them. And the cool thing was, is that, I mean, it, it was crazy hours, seven days a week, because, you know, 
even when one team wasn't there, right? You had still two or three teams in the building. So you're always working seven days a week. So ultimately in the first year, what was the cool thing was, is that when uh, the president sat down with us, the, the upper management or whatever, and they're like going, okay, so give us a status report. Where are we, right? And, you know, ultimately it came back to him as like, yeah, we've been working with your staff, educating your staff. We've been working on the performance, educating and helping all your performance physios, you know, dietitians, doctors, all that kind of stuff. But the big thing is, is in one year, we've reduced across the board for all your teams, 50%. We've reduced the soft uh, tissue injuries or, you know, non-contact injuries. And that's immense, right? Because when you look at it, when you can keep players in training, right? And then that means you're able to keep them in matches, right? And then you're able to keep your better players in training in matches, right? That ultimately is going to help in the overall and the result, right? It doesn't look sexy. It doesn't sound sexy, right? People are like going, oh, the easy thing is, right? Hey, let's get them bigger, faster, stronger, or whatever. And that's true. We were doing that. But we understood this underlying foundation that, hey, we needed to address this right because we're just having way too many right you can't eliminate anything but you can reduce uh those uh you know that potential right to a very low number and you know that's what we set out to do and then and that was huge for us and then of course later on as we stayed there right we just slowly start to implement some more of the strength the power the movement the speed right? The movement quality, movement efficiency, but we needed them to be able to do some of the basic things well, right? Go on a foam roller and not light up your whole entire body, right? Like, oh, oh, ah, like I'm dying, <laughs> right? I've never seen a foam roller before and like they barely touches their calf, right? And it's on fire, or touches their hamstring or the quad. And you're looking at a player who's, at, you know, young age and you're like going, wow, and but of course, normal, right? The Brazilian players, right? They start early. Yeah. And so a player who's on the under 19, under 17 team, they've been playing competitive high level football already for a long time. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't necessarily think about it, but yeah, they have wear and tear on their body, right? And you're thinking, oh yeah, they're young, but you're like going, they, they play 11 months out of the year. Mm. <laughs> so there's massive lessons in there in terms of your approach to that, isn't there? Because essentially you've gone in, you've looked at the low hanging fruit and things that can make a real impact, isn't it? Whereas a lot of people get attracted to maybe the more fancy things that you've talked about, the speed, the power, the strength that, that is going to come. And obviously you know the importance of it, but it's, it's just really, um, that's a big takeaway for me is that it's, that can come, can't it? That can come later, but what can we impact now? And also yeah. from a, um, from a higher, maybe technical point of view, from technical directors or whoever it's we're talking to, if you're presenting that data and that the impact that you've made on that program, that's massive for them, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, coaches, right? It comes down to some simple things. And I've worked with some unbelievably great coaches in my time, right? And they're always going to ask you some of the same questions over is a player available? Right. And how much can he play? Yeah. And then if he's available and how much you can play is not a problem, then how many matches can he play in a row, right? Over and over and over at a high level. Well, that just comes down to one simple thing, durability, yeah. right? We have to create durability in our players, right? Modern football 
right? It's not getting less matches. Modern football is only adding more matches. I mean, you can just see right now, right? It's going on in Europe, right? UEFA uh, Nations League. I mean, they've even condensed the schedule more. They're playing four matches in this window, which would never happen before because of COVID, because of the World Cup coming up uh, in November and December. So, you know, when you're talking about modern football, it's not less matches, right? They're fighting to try to stop them from trying to play more matches. And this is trickling all the way down to the lower levels as well, too, right? So the thing is, is creating durability. It is performance. It's one very big, important aspect of performance, right? Making sure your players are available, you know, how many matches they can play, what is the quality of it, and you need to have durability. Right within that, of course, ultimately, can you look at this performance side of it? And when you have the opportunities and the time, right, to be able to bring that to the forefront, absolutely. But you know, it's one of those things that a lot of times it gets lost in understanding that, right? We need to create more durable players, right? Yeah, hundred percent. In terms of that culture over, and I don't want to spend the whole time talking about Brazil, but I think it's really fascinating <laughs> because of the numbers, but also obviously everyone knows the, the quality of players that have come out of Brazil as well. Mm-hmm. I remember speaking to Callum Walsh about this ages ago as well on the podcast, but that culture in Brazil where they're constantly producing this talent time and time and time again. Was there anything that you noticed, Scott? And this is probably away from s and sports science now and yeah. just looking at culturally is there anything that you notice where you're like well this this is why this is why these players are developing and this is this is the reason behind why they've got so much talent yeah i mean i think you know having been all over the world you know one of the things that you know that's a little bit different and you and you see some similarities in other places in uh south american countries as well too but the thing that I think is probably a little bit different about Brazil, it's one of the biggest countries in South America. Of course, the, their love for football and their passion for football, football is undeniable. But just the structure on which football is made, right? You know, you go and you see them they're playing in the streets, they're playing in the beach, right? They're playing any style of football that you can imagine, right? Right? And it doesn't have to be organized, right? So there's such a early development of football in brazil right and you know how this relates to the podcast is that right is the dna of the player the mentality of the player because that's what we're always working with right is in snc right is when that player steps in front of you what kind of player do you have what is their makeup right what makes them go what makes them tick what you know what are things that you can use to your advantage and what things that you may probably shouldn't do too much of because that's not going to really help you or them out right and so what you see is this underlying uh, passion for football in Brazil of just loving them, loving it, right? Loving it for its purest and simple value, right? And so by the time they get to, you know, 15, 17, you know, these ages or whatever, right? They understand it's transition, but they still have this, this unbelievable love, right? For the game. And I think sometimes when you go to some of the other countries, right? It's sometimes you, you see that, yeah, they, 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 they love football. But, you know, when you see the Brazilians, they're laughing, they're joking. They're just doing some of the most stupid things with a ball. And you're like going, you're like going, you would never see that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so I think this is such a, a big thing about, you know, why they develop so many football players is because of their love, their passion 
for the game, the culture around it, and they allow them to go to a certain level before they say, okay, let's start to make this more of, let's take you to the next level, right? This, it's more of a business now, right? They've ingrained this love for the game. And then ultimately too, right? In a country like Brazil, is that, you know, for a lot of players, this is their ticket, right? Yeah. They're not gonna go to university. They're not gonna go here. They're not gonna go and do that, right? This is this is a this is the ticket for them, their the family, their relatives, their friends, right? Everybody kind of in their inner circle. So you see these players, right? And and I've seen them, right? Where they come and everything is like laughing, kind of joking, every like that Brazilian style, and then all of a sudden the switch turns. Hey, I'm the person who's going to be representing the whole entire family, relatives closest friend circle, right? And, and they take on that responsibility and they're like, okay, now it's time, right? And so you don't get to see that. I mean, of course, sometimes you see this in other countries or whatever, but in Brazil, this is very common, right? And I think this is why you see so many Brazilian players, right? They have this first love and joy or whatever, but they also too, they look at it, this ultimately can be the ticket, right? And they take on this responsibility, like an honor, right? like a badge. And that's not a bad thing, right? No. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of these Brazilian players, right? They've gone on and have historic uh, careers, right? And so Fernandinho, right? Fernandinho came from Atletico Palmeirense, right? He then went to Shakhtar Donetsk and then he ended up at Man City. I mean, you know, I've, I had the opportunity to meet him when he comes back to Atletico Palmeirense. Educated person, great man, family man, speaks five different languages. And you're like going, wow, this guy took their love for football and the passion. And then he realized that it was going to be something much bigger, right? Not just for him, but everybody that he affects directly around him. And, and you see that a lot with the Brazilian players, right? And that's very, very common with them. I mentioned it briefly at the start of this podcast, but if you're not already a member of our online community, go and check it out because you can get so many presentations and webinars that are available on there already. Coaches like Dawn Scott, Damien Hughes, and plenty of others who've presented at our networking events, those presentations are available to watch back on demand, plus all the webinars that are available and future presentations from our upcoming events as well. So whether you can make it or not to our Reading event, our Manchester event, and some others that we've got coming for the rest of the year, you'll be able to access the presentations. So you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, and you can sign up there for a free 30-day trial to see exactly what it's all about. After that 30-day trial, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And once you become a full member, you'll get access to our WhatsApp group. Um, you'll be able to communicate and connect with all the coaches that are on the in the community from right across the world, over 20 leagues. Um, there's six, over 60 clubs represented on there. Loads of great coaches and conversations go on in the WhatsApp group. So go and check it out. If you've not already claimed your free month, go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab, sign up there and get yourself a free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Scott Perry. Brilliant and fascinating as well. It's, it's such an amazing culture, isn't it? And, and like you say, 
if we started naming the talents that have come out of, of Brazil, we'd be here all day. So, um, <laughs> yeah, incredible. But the other bit I wanted to go into, Scott, because there's so many topics we could, could cover on this podcast. But yes, you mentioned about athletes' performance, obviously now EXOs, and your role with them. And mm-hmm. if you could maybe go into what, what the role was and also how that impacted then your work with players, with teams going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, I started I started the bottom like everybody else, right? Just a normal, as we would call, an athlete's performance, a performance specialist. And I had an opportunity to, to learn from some great people, right? You know, at that time, uh, I just got... And you've been a few years in the industry or whatever, but it was the first time. And then at that time when athlete performance started, there was nothing like it, right? And so when Mark Verstegen created with a lot of other great people that he had around with him at the time, you know, it was all about, you know, providing and supporting the athlete in all levels, right? Not just performance, right? It was, of course, you know, they talk about their four pillars, the mindset, the nutrition, you know, the movement, the recovery but was to to put this whole kind of uh, environment around the player to say, hey, look, we're here to really develop you. So I started off as a performance specialist, got to work with some other great performance league coaches, right? Assist here, assist there, carry this there, drag that over there, right? You know, all those kinds of things that every coach goes through, right? You know, like, hey, and then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we need you to break that all down. We need you to take that over to the other field. We're going to get started in 15 minutes. Okay, I got it, right? And, you know, like everybody, right? And you're like going, not that, but this is what you, you have to learn, right? Is that, you know, it's, it's not glamorous, right? <laughs> Even at the highest level, it's about doing the heavy lifting well every day. And then progressed into being a performance lead. And then ultimately, over the years, I was able to get myself to kind of a performance director position where then I was now on behalf of Athletes Performance Exos was going in and, and working with teams or projects all around the world and being able to go in right with myself and then the, the small staff that I had to go in and say, hey, we're here to help you problem solve, right? We're here to help you put in a framework, a structure, a system right that is custom to the way that you can do things here right because i can tell you how to do things in athletes performance or exos but well it's almost a perfect situation right you have anything and everything that you need but when you go to some of these projects and some of these teams right it's far from that so you need to be able to take all those things right all those strengths, all those limitations into place. And you're like, okay, well, what can we make the best version or the best way for them, right? What is their custom solution here, right? With the people, resources, time, limitations, all those kinds of things and and do what we can. And so that's what you really learn, right? Is of course, be open-minded, right? Because our industry is always changing, but you need to be able to have, you know, this uh, understanding and being able to create this custom system for these teams, clubs, organizations, whatever it may be, because when you leave, right, that's great, but you hopefully have left something behind for them to take to the next level, right? 
hopefully you've been able to communicate and get them to understand working together, not separate, but working together jointly, right? Creating this environment around the players, the team or whatever, creating this culture is far more beneficial, right? And will allow you to get success and the results that you're looking for, right? Maybe not necessarily in the short term, right? Because, you know, but of course our society likes things to happen quickly, right? You know, but ultimately, if you're given a little time, right? You will be able to, to make those, those results come. Brilliant. Scott, the other thing I'm fascinated about with your experiences with all the different teams that you've been involved in is the one that stands out as an opportunity where you felt you developed the most as a practitioner and maybe why that was as well. Yeah, I think uh, it would probably be, uh, I just finished the season, you know, uh, working with uh, the New York Red Bulls. And I had, at that time, I had worked with uh, LA Galaxy a few years before when David Beckham first came. So that was, uh, that was very interesting to see back when David Beckham first came, by right, his first season with the LA Galaxy. You know, we started the season without him. So to kind of see him come in and then transform not just the, the team, the organization, but the league as a whole, right? That was a very unique experience. And then fast forward, right, when I was working with uh, the New York Red Bulls, right? That's when uh, Thierry Henry was there, Rafael Marquez was there. So a very similar kind of situation, right? But then you now get to see it with a different organization. And now they have two superstars, right? that are kind of carrying on what David Beckham brought to Major League Soccer. So those were all very learning experiences, right? To be able to understand that the, the difference between you have such a high profile player, but then you have some players, right? In the States, unfortunately, they just finished playing uh, university soccer. And next thing they know, they're a teammate of, you know, David Beckham or Thierry Henry or Rafael Marquez. And they're just walking in like this going, <laughs> oh, wow. Right, I'm playing professional football, but here's my idol in front of me, right, as well. And you know, you don't you don't get to see that too often, right? And in this day and age, right, pretty normal now for major league soccer to bring in some uh, big time quality players that have this unbelievable level and play to that such unbelievable level and they walk into the uh, into a major league soccer team and like yeah, pretty normal now. But back then it wasn't so much. But the big one was when I went to Galatasaray the first time, right? This, this, this country is mad about football. And so to jump into that situation and not understanding, right, that, hey, football in Turkey, it's not just football, right? You know, as we look at some other countries like, South America, Brazil, or Argentina, or whatever, and you talk, oh, their fans and the, the media and this and that. I was just not expecting when I went to Turkey that it was going to be all of this, right? And, you know, that was the, the biggest learning experience was because when in that environment, right, working with such a legendary coach like Fatih Turim, right, the expectations are extremely high, right? And so fortunately, I had worked with him a little bit before in 2008 in the Euros, right, with the Turkish national team. So I understood the environment or whatever. But now to go and work with him with Galatasaray for the first time and now every day for a whole entire season, 
right? Now I was like, wow. And then to be able to see the media and then back then, right? Social media wasn't such a big thing, but of course their media in general is just like all over you. So it was a big experience for me to learn how to be in such a pressure environment, right? We needed to win, right? We needed to win the league. We needed to get, we needed to get in the Champions League. We needed to go as far as we could in, in Champions League, right? And when you, when you work with a, a coach like that, right? You know, you're in an environment where you win and that's expected. You lose and you're like, wow, what happened? Mm-hmm. Right? And the environment, the mentality, everything just drops to the floor. And you're like coming in like, okay, we lost a match. We can't win every match. And then you realize like, it's not just the coaches, not just the staff, not just the players. It's everybody drops. And so now you come into an environment where you're like going, okay, I need to try to do the best I can. Not to say, hey, we accept losing. No, no, no. We learn from our mistakes. We try to get better and then we move on. And this up and down. Right. When everything is great, you lose. Right. You're the worst team ever. Right. And you're just going through this oscillating thing when you go through a whole entire season. And so, right. Everything that I know I need to do or whatever. Right. It just everything becomes heightened. Right. You know, so making sure that organized every day, communicating every day, system is in place. Right. Supporting the players, creating the culture, you know, making sure everybody from the coaches, the support staff, right? Medical performance, nutrition, regeneration. I mean, the list goes on and on. Everybody is working the same direction because we're not players, mm-hmm. right? We can feel the, the ups and downs with the coaches and the players, but us as a staff, right? We need to be staying more in the middle. We never get too high and we never get too low, right? We need to stay in the middle, right? Because we need to be thinking long-term, right? Our goal is we need to start strong, but we need to finish stronger, right? And yeah, we're going to, it's not going to be a perfect line, right? We're going to have some really big wins and some losses that we're like, no, we shouldn't have lost that match, right? But we need to keep trending in that right direction, right? And that was that was a huge learning experience to be in that environment every day under that kind of, uh, if you want to say, uh, passion, pressure, whatever it is, to, to be able to perform and to just kind of always keep your eye on the prize, it was it was uh, it was a big learning experience. And just on that as well, Scott, I, I thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on obviously the club environment like that, and mm-hmm. you've mentioned over in the MLS as well. But then the the national team and the sort of demands on you and maybe how you found that transition going into a national team when you've not got the players 24-7, you're not seeing them every day, you're seeing them for sporadically throughout the year. How did you find that? Like, what was what was some of the takeaways for you working with the national teams? Yeah, I mean, that's always a struggle when you work with the national team because, you know, it's a part-time team, right? You know, and you can have some players coming in and out, um, you know, depending on form, depending on injuries, you know, all kinds of other things. So, Working in a, for me, working in a national team, right, is very different than working in a, in a club team because when you're working in a club team, right, as anybody who's on this podcast that works in an environment, hey, it's very different when you're working 10, 11 months out of the year, 
right? And you're just grinding every day, right? And you're starting in the preseason somewhere in July, right? If you're typical European schedule, right? And then you're finishing the season somewhere by mid to late May, right? By the time you finish, you're just like, can I just have a couple of weeks off, right? Where I don't have to see anybody, do anything or whatever. So I can just kind of, because you're just grinding. Then the national team is just very, very different because yeah, the pressure, the intensity of whatever, but it's very short bouts, right? And the thing is, is that you have an opportunity usually, right? With your staff, your coaches, you know, all the, all the support staff that you have around you to kind of organize and set everything up, right? You literally can plan out of every minute of every day, right? Because you have them, right? For whatever it may be, two, three weeks for the buildup to the major tournament and then the tournament itself. And so, you know, you get a, you also too usually get a different kind of player, right? You get one of the best players in your country. So you're de usually dealing with a different mentality of kind of player, right? It's usually not the first time. I mean, sometimes you'll get some first time players into the national team that like going, hey, this is a great young player or whatever. But for the most part, you get some players experience and understand that. So the thing is, is that that organization and that attention to detail, right, becomes much more important during a national team. Because you literally, like I kind of talked about the combine, you have that many weeks and your goal is this and you need to make sure but then there's also, too, this art within the sciences that, you know, which you're always talking about with the coaches, right? You don't want to do too little, but you don't want to do too much. And that's not just physically or mentally, right? Because you have to remember the players are coming from their club team. Then they, they come to the, from the club team to the national team, back to their club team. And they're looking at you going, I've already been playing eight months of, you know, of, for my club. And now national team, I'm here for, you know, maybe a week or two, 10 days, and then I'm back off, right? And then we're in the worst. So, or you're at the end of the season, right? And you're preparing for a major tournament, right? So you always have to take that into mind. It's like, yeah, we have this great opportunity. We have this set number of weeks that we can work with and we can plan out every day. But mentally, right, we have to be able to balance, right? Because they play so much football, usually, when you get them. And it's trying to find that because on paper, it looks great. Oh, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this and we can do that. And then you'll just have some of the players like, well, can we just have a day off? <laughs> I finished the season. I came straight here and we haven't had a day off, right? And I, I think I've gone, you know, whatever, two or three weeks without a day off, right? So you learn, right, that even though there's a lot of similarities, it's very different, right? And you also, to a degree, overall get a different kind of player. So you need to understand, right, the, when you're looking at the national team, sometimes mentally is, it's, it's much more of an onus, if you want to say, a responsibility than so much the physical. Yeah, you need to make sure you're doing that. But do you necessarily need to be like performance, 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 right? Strength, power, speed, right? You're trying to get them to come in and you're like going, are they healthy? Mm. Are they playing well? Right? Are they durable? Right? Are they going to be available? Right? because they're a talented player already. So you're just trying to make sure you're ticking them on, right? And then try to gain some momentum as you start building through the short camp and then through the major tournament, right? So then hopefully they're playing their best football, right? Uh, at the end of the tournament. Brilliant. I could talk through this stuff all day, but I wanna, <laughs> I wanna 
make sure that we don't keep you on all day, Scott. Um, can we move on to some of the quick fire questions that we finish each podcast? Oh, absolutely. With? Yeah, no so, worries. Um, the first being, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd have to go straight to, to my time with uh, Athletes Performance Room when I got into this industry. And I knew that I wanted to work with, with athletes, especially professional athletes at the highest level. And at that time, right, when I looked around, there was not many people that were doing it. I mean, of course, you could find it maybe in the Olympic setting or, you know, some team, if you're working directly with a team. But at that time, you know, there was nothing like athletes' performance. So, of course, Mark Verstegen is a huge influence, right? And just understanding how he developed that company, what he was trying to do with that company, right, and all the great people that he brought into. And then, of course, some of the great people that I worked with um, in the Athletes Performance LA facility. So Shad Forsyth, right, who's was at Arsenal for a long time, a German national team. And then Omi Iosaka, great physio that uh, I worked with there, right? That was that time when I started learning like, hey, we don't just do this over here, right? We work together with everybody on the team, right? It's not just, oh, the medical over here, the performance over here, the coaches over there, right? We all together, we all have the same goals and everybody needs to work together. And then in the Arizona facility, right? I had Luke Richardson, a great coach. And uh, he went and worked with the Denver Broncos for a long time, Houston Texans, right? So, you know, a lot of experience in the NFL combine and then in the NFL. And then, uh, Daryl uh, Eto, a great coach, right, in Arizona as well. And so, you know, he went on to work uh, with the Houston Rockets and the Oakland Raiders, and now he's doing tactical work. So these guys in the beginning time when I was with Athletes Performance was a huge foundation of kind of just understanding what it's like to be with like-minded people that have the same kind of vision, goals, right, want to work together, right, no egos, right, I learn from you, you learn from me, we work together, right? We'll be able to do a lot more if we're all working together than trying to work separately, right? And not on the same agenda. Brilliant. Scott, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? You know, I think at the beginning it was, you know, understanding, you know, I needed to bring some passion and energy, right? And, you know, that kind of level of intensity to it. But over time, I realized that, you know, being able to communicate, right, being able to bring people together, being able to get people on the same system, right, or at least general way or direction was very, very important, right? Because in this industry, if you're going to make a real big impact, right, you can do a lot by yourself, but you can do so much more when you're working with a lot of high quality experts with you, right? And so, you know, over that time, as I worked out the performance, that just became, right? Being organized, communicating, creating a system, making sure everybody understands, everybody understands our role and understands how they contribute, right? And that we all have each other's back, right? We're sending the same message to the players, the coaches, all those kinds of things, because this is very, very important because as you know, Coaches, right? Players will come in and if they kind of hear or smell, hey, somebody doesn't agree with what's going on, right? Then they're like going, oh, hey, 
this person said something over there, right? And so it's very important that you're unified yeah. and you're all going together and you're going in the right direction because you need to be able to help the coaches, the rest of the support staff, everybody that's working with the players and the teams, right? To get them going in the right direction. And I'll give you a perfect example. When we, were, when we work with the NFL Combine, right? We have 20 players, right? They all come from different universities. So we're working with 20 players all at the same time for the same goal to go to the NFL Combine, right? And to do all these physical, mental, psychological interviews, all these kinds of tests, right? And the thing is, is that we take 20 players, well, they kind of become a team, but they've come from different teams. They have the same goal. So the thing is, is that you learn right away that, hey, you, everybody needs to be saying the same thing and going in the same direction because this is how we're going to get them there, right? If people want to be doing different things, right, then that causes, you know, issues, right? Causes people like, going, oh, wait, maybe should I go this way or should I go that way? And now all of a sudden you've got everybody going everywhere and then nobody is really being able to help any anybody in regards to how the players really need to get there. And so that, that was a huge, huge influence uh, for me. Yeah, that's so important. And it sounds so obvious, but then there's so many teams still where that is happening, isn't it? And the first players to sniff, uh, the p- first people to sniff that out are the players, aren't they? They know, they know when that's not right. Yeah, and I, look, I've worked with a lot of unbelievably intelligent people, some expert experts. But the thing is, is ultimately today, the player doesn't care mm. if you're the best of the best. They just want to make sure that you're really good. But more importantly, they want to hear a consistent uh, dialogue, right? Yeah consistent message and so if that message is gets changed over here and so that's the thing is is that right as we ask our players to be team players right every day hey yeah you need to do your role but you need to understand your role within the team and then how you work with the team right when we start talking about you know our background and our education we're not taught like that most of us i mean i was very fortunate to have played professional football soccer and been in that environment for a long time. So it was already kind of there for me, but a lot of people who come from, if you want to say the academia university setting, right. And then they go into this environment. They're not really ever experienced being in a team and now all of us coming together. So, right. That's one of those things is that you can be a great individual, right. But then putting that person right in a team environment, right. You know, the, the great teams and the great organizations are the ones where they have intelligent people. All those people are working together, right? And so at the end of the day, they may, in that medical meeting or performance meeting at 8 a.m. before the players roll in, right? They go through everything they need to go through, and then they say, okay, this is what we're, this is what we're saying as a group. Everybody's saying the same thing, yeah, right? And this is very important. And the, the, the top clubs, they do this, right? Because it's not just about just getting the best of the best. It's like getting great people, but also too bringing them together, to create that culture and environment around the players to make sure that it's in line with the ethos of the club and where their long-term and short-term plans are, right? To get those results, to get that success. Brilliant. Scott, if I was to take you back, pre-athlete's performance, just starting out, not quite Uh, sure that you're going to end up in all these roles, not sure where you're going to go with your career. What would be your top advice for that, Scott? Yeah, I mean, look, um, in this industry, um, 
you know, I think the thing is, is that you just need to be patient, right? Um, you know, I came into the industry relatively late, right? I didn't come directly from university and then step into this role, right? And go, hey, I want to train professional athletes or whatever. Even when I finished as a player, right, I kind of started back at ground zero and then built my way back up through. And it would just be patient, right? There's always things for you to learn, always things for you to get better at, right? And, you know, in this day and age, right, that's really difficult sometimes, right? You know, people want to get into the industry, right? And they, and I think there's this overall feeling like, oh, I need to make a splash. I need to hit it big right away. And then and the reality is, is that, no, you don't. But what you need to do is you need to keep developing. You need to keep growing. You need to keep learning, right? You need to keep understanding, like, where are the big pictures? Where you're going? What is your direction? You just need to be patient, right? It takes time to develop, Right. And so I would say being patient and then trying to find out who the people are that the best in the industry of what you want to do, right? Whatever that may be, whatever it is, right, from a performance side, if you want to be a performance person that has more of a sports science emphasis, right? If you're in the performance and you want to be more towards, you know, uh, rehab specialists or reduce the uh, risk of injury or whatever that may be, or you may be more of a strength and power uh, performance person, or you may be more of a speed or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, go on and try to find and learn from these people who are the best, right? Because this is an eye-opening experience, right? Because you can, you can find a lot of people who are saying a lot of things, but when you find the best people, you start to see the same themes over and over again. You're like, going, regardless of who they are and what kind of niche within the industry we're talking about, you start to see the same traits, right? You start to see the same sort of things. You're like, going, that's interesting. That person over there who's really good at that and works for that club or does this or that, even though this person is in a different niche, yeah, they do some things slightly different, but they, they do think very, very similar, right? Yeah. Because those core principles shouldn't really change. And then just final thing, Scott, in terms of CPD, continual learning, what's your approach to that now? Always, always. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, when you're younger in the industry or as you've been in the industry like myself for a long time, is that you need to keep learning. Um, and the, and the, the reality is this is our industry just keeps growing, right? Yeah. I mean... And especially, you know, within this last five, six years of this explosion with uh, data, right? Data analytics, right? Sports science, all that kind of stuff. And so the thing is, is that, you know, being able to understand that this industry, especially with technology, right? Kind of being a, a driver or forefront is great, but you know, you need to be disciplined in all the areas that you, that you need to be working in, right? It can't just be, hey, I'm just a person with the weights and then I don't understand the mentality of the player or the team or the other coaches or support staff I work with, right? Or it's only the numbers, right? And then I don't understand like how recovery, right? How uh, sports dietitian or nutrition or hydration it can be effective as well in this situation, right? So is this is continual, just keep learning, right? Because our industry keeps learning, right? And you take six months to a year off, 
right? Without trying to update yourself and to learn what's going on or whatever, right? you can fall behind, right? Now, it doesn't mean that you need to learn everything needs to be new or whatever, but, you know, there's certain things that you start to see, right? And especially with all this data out here, right? I mean, there's a lot of numbers that get thrown around. And the question is, is that, are they valid, right? Or are they not so valid, right? Mm -hmm. Or the ones should we really be concerned about and understand, okay, those are some quality numbers that we need to be looking at and maybe not. And so the thing is, you need to have that background to be able to go, yeah, that, that that's good quality data. That, mm, we may need to do a lot more work before we can say that is something that we need to move on, right? Because in our day and age, right, we'd like to be so quick with everything. Like, oh yeah, we saw this, so we saw that and let's go. And then you found out later, like, going, oh, we got ahead of ourselves. Maybe it wasn't what we thought it was. So, yes, keep learning and keep trying to find uh, that information from the top people. So that's, uh, that's what I would say. Brilliant. Scott, thank you very much. That was absolutely brilliant. We've covered loads there and I've, I've run out of um, <laughs> space on my page in terms of my notes. Um, <laughs> no I really... I really appreciate you coming on um, to, to pull from your experiences and your career so far is incredible. So I hope the listeners have taken plenty from it, which I'm sure they have. And it will just be really interesting, the next steps on the career, and maybe we can catch up and do another one in a, in a few months time and just see what, what's going on then as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ben, thank you. It's a pleasure. And again, give a shout out to Daniel Guzman for hooking us up. Uh, much appreciated. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. So thank you very, very much. Now, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. This is why I love doing this podcast, because these conversations and a lot of the conversations I've had previously on this podcast probably wouldn't happen. And purely based on the having the podcast and being able to invite coaches on, I'm privileged that coaches will come and have these conversations. And it's just ex- the same in this podcast with Scott. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Scott's obviously someone with a super, super amount of experience. Very, very humble with it, though, I think, as well. And obviously, just a, first of all, just a, a nice guy, really nice guy. And you can sort of understand why he's got so many opportunities in the game as well. For He's just easy to get on with, um, breaks things down really simply. And I'm sure that's why players, let alone coaches, will appreciate the work that he does. Um, In terms of takeaways, I think first of all that he spoke about the strength of his network and some of the the coaches that he mentioned in the the podcast. Obviously, he's he's worked with Exos and some of the clubs that he's been at, um, but it just shows time and time again that we've got to try and get around real quality coaches and quality practitioners. And not only does that improve you, but also I think it gives you opportunities and that's obviously what Scott has had. So that was initially my first takeaway from the, from the episode and chatting to Scott. He spoke about the attention to detail, which I think is, is really, really key. We've spoke about it time and time again, doing the basics, the foundations, but really putting that attention to detail um, on everything that you do in terms of your programming. Working as a team. So when you, you have a team around you, whether it's physios, whether it's technical coaches, whether it's other SNCs or sports scientists, making sure that we're working cohesively as a team, really, really important. Um, and obviously it's something that Scott has had to do, not only 
in um, his language as well, but also in, in countries and teams where they don't speak his language. So I think, and I remember I, I said in the episode about speaking to Callum Walsh about this, who I know Scott crossed pathways over in, in Brazil. Um, but I think doing, I, I've personally not got experience of doing this, but I can see the benefits of going working in an environment where they don't speak your language, you, you're being exposed to a different culture, but you're also creating some skills where you're not relying on your language as a coach. So if anyone is looking to develop, that could be something to look into. And then something that actually gets, I've recorded episode 193 already, which is obviously coming next week, which is a big, big episode to follow this one and Megan's as well. Um, And that coach in that episode also references this, and it is patience. Patience as a coach in your career and I know it's what Scott said would be his advice to his younger self, um, but also with your athletes as well. And I think it's an important skill to work on. Something that we probably get impatient with is, is our careers, wanting to be in a certain role by a certain time and not really appreciating the journey and taking the most out of every opportunity. And I think it's a really bit of key advice, just being patient along the way and just being a sponge and just taking as much as we can from it. So, really enjoyed this chat with Scott. I hope you did as well. Um, Scott isn't on social media, which we had a little chat about when we stopped recording, but I really I appreciate the fact that he isn't um, because he said you can get too absorbed in it, and I, I fully agree with that. Um, so, unfortunately, you can't follow him over on there, but I know that he has got some stuff coming up soon where he might be creating some accounts, so just keep an eye out for that. But as always, huge thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting it, and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 193.